0: can have your Bible open there to Mark chapter 4. It's where we're going to be with our, with our lesson today. And uh, we have seen over the past few lessons in, in Mark 4 that Jesus has been telling parables to describe the nature of the kingdom, these uh, teachings that he has given to discern Who is really going to follow Him? Who is going to seek the meaning of the things that He says and seek the understanding to the parables that He tells? And after a series of parables that chapter 4 records in Mark, we're now going to see a series of miracles. And these miracles function in the same way, and they're going to show us who this Jesus is and what kingdom He has come to bring. It is interesting the scene that is put before us in verse 35 of Mark 4. It tells us, on that day when evening had come. On that day, we'd seen in chapter 4, Jesus is telling all these parables. He told the parable of these soils and the lamp under the basket, the seed that would be growing, and the parable of the mustard seed. And now we've come to the end of the day. It has been a full day of teaching for Jesus. It's been a long day of crowds who have come to Him to hear His words. And now Jesus says, let's let's go to the other side of the sea. And so verse 36, leaving the crowd, they took with Him in the boat just as He was, and other boats were with Him. So going across the sea. Now one of the really neat things that we've been able to find in archaeology is now we're able to know exactly what this boat looked like. Now, it didn't look like that obviously, but that's what they found in the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. And it uh, is a pretty typical 1st century fishing boat. And so there's the remains of it which gives us of an idea then it looked like this. Is that it could hold 15 people. And a perfect size for what you have Jesus doing. Typical first century uh, fishing boat. It would be this kind of boat then that you would see them getting into this. Let's push across to the other side of the sea. What's been hard to visualize is when you read verse 37, is here is this great windstorm that comes and the waves are breaking over the boat and it says that, that Jesus is asleep on a cushion in the stern. And if you're like me as a kid, you thought he was like four floors down, you know, on the cruise boat that was touring the Sea of Galilee. And that's why he didn't know that this was all going on, because he was somewhere else. And this was a single layer. (laughs) To get an idea of what that would look like, it would be like this. Is that at the end of one of those boats, there was a, a cover that you could sit on in doing the work of fishing. And it could also be used to stick your head under. And that's what Jesus has done here. Is He is under this stern part cover and he's asleep while the storm now is picking up and the water is beginning to fill into the middle of the boat. And you can imagine as this boat begins to move back and forth. And I want us to consider something that's pretty fascinating about what you see here in this text Because it's the only time that you will ever read about Jesus doing this. He's sleeping. You'll never read about that anywhere else. This is the one singular time where it tells us Jesus is asleep. And you can't help but be impressed by that for a moment. Just to remind yourself that Jesus is God in the flesh. And he has been teaching all day long. And they are now pushed out into the sea. And he's asleep. And the waves are starting to pick up. He's still asleep. It's a great picture here of the humanity of Jesus at this moment. That he is tired. And he's asleep in the sermon. In the midst of this, I think it becomes pretty fascinating, then, as you can just try to visualize, as the waves are picking up and the storm begins to pick up. In fact, Mark wants to highlight in verse 37, it is a great megoster, it is a great windstorm that has now swept over the Sea of Galilee, which was fairly common. Imagine it, the waves are breaking into the boat is what verse 37 says. So much so that the water is now filling in the boat. And you can imagine the disciples are not sitting there calmly going, boy, isn't this interesting? (laughs) Notice the wording, verse 38, as it says there, he's asleep on the They woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, that would be something I would say if the waves got to about a foot, you know, and a couple pieces of water splashed in. I'd be like, ah. Remember, a lot of these guys are professional fishermen. So, they're not like me who just gets panicked at any sight of some some waves of the boat. For them to tell Jesus, we are about to die, is not an exaggeration. They would have believed that. They're used to being in these boats, they ran them all the time. We've seen that that's what Peter and John and James do and Andrew for their livelihood. This is their whole profession. They know what to do out in this situation. And this is not a situation that has an easy solution. The Sea of Galilee is 8 miles wide and 13 miles long. 64 surface square miles. Even if you'd pushed out a little ways, you've got 2 miles back to shore. If you're in the middle, you're 4 miles away from shore and the waves are tossing everywhere. There is no, let's jump out of the boat and make a swim for it. You're miles away And the waves are crashing all over you. They're in trouble. Meanwhile, Jesus is still asleep on that cushion. (laughs) And they wake him. Don't you care that we are perishing? And the response of Jesus at this moment is also striking. Notice the text does not say that Jesus got up, grabbed a bucket and started bailing water out of the bottom of the boat. You know, 13's better than 12 to solve this problem. He doesn't get up and start panicking like everybody else. What are we going to do? It is amazing what Jesus does. To put it in a pretty modern English, what He just simply says, to the winds and to the waves be quiet and calm down. And notice it says there in verse 39, and the wind ceased and there was a great calm. You have to put that in your mind for a moment. The boat is getting beaten by the waves left and right so strongly that the waves are dumping water into the boat. You have a great wind howling over it as the boat is moving and moving. And Jesus just simply says, be quiet and calm down. And all of a sudden it all stops and it looks like a beautiful day on the Sea of Galilee in an instant. And as I visualize that scene, I I just can't see how people's eyes were not huge. And their jaws were not open. That one second ago, we were being flung on the sea, and now it's just like hanging out on the Sea of Galilee calm. The wind stops and the waves quit. What a stunning moment. By the way, please think about what just happened right there. How unusual. In the middle of a storm who then turns around and starts rebuking wind and tells the sea to calm down? <laughs> Can you imagine? Have you ever been on a boat that's just rocked you back and forth? You Imagine somebody standing on the top. Hey, wait, I want you to calm down. You know, you're nuts. <laughs> Jesus, be quiet and calm down. It just and you notice it catches the disciples' attention. Because here you have Jesus saying in verse 40, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this? that even the wind listens and the sea obeys the words of this person. And I think it is interesting to get an idea of what this moment, why this miracle indicates so much about who Jesus is and what He's come to do. There are many Scriptures in the Old Testament. I'm going to show you a few of them that give you a representation of how God operates with the seeds and what you're supposed to know about God because of that. Like Psalm 89, verse 8. As we read these three passages, pay attention to what God does to the seed and what you're supposed to know. Psalm 89, verse 8. O Lord God of hosts, Who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you? You rule the raging sea. When its waves rise, you still them. That was the picture of the power of God. Psalm 65 verse 5. Psalm 107.23 Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. For He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. It is interesting how often the Old Testament has a reference point to silencing and quieting seas. And one of the things that we often do with miracles that we'll talk about as we go through each of these miracles is we often stop at the big E on the eye chart that obviously the miracle shows that Jesus is Lord. We kind of go, okay, that's what the miracle means, Jesus is Lord. You stopped way too early. Of course it means that. But why this miracle? Why do this thing of all things? Why do it in this way? You know, Jesus could have just teleported the boat across and suddenly here we are on the other side. There's all kinds of things we can do in response to this. But to the sea and to the wind, he tells them to be quiet and they listen. But what we've just seen is that these are images of God bringing His deliverance and bringing His salvation. Did you notice it in Psalm 89, when it talked about the silencing of the sea, it was seeing God's faithfulness all around you. In Psalm 65, O God of our salvation, the hope to the ends of the earth as You silence the seas and the winds. Same thing in Psalm 107. They cried to the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them from their distress. He brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast, faithful covenant love. Notice the silencing of the seas is not just merely Jesus is Lord, but He has come to rescue. He has the power to deliver. And this is why they now turn around and start saying to each other, who is this? Because this is God in the flesh. Because only God can say words and still storms. That's what all those souls said. In fact, Isaiah 50 even describes as the Exodus scene that it was God who rebuked the sea so that the people could go through. God quiets seas and delivers His people through them. This is why you see the reaction. That you have here. Notice what they do when the storm stops. What would you expect the twelve to do at that moment? What would you expect these apostles to do? I think I would have probably given them a big hug and say thank you. Notice the text earlier was asking a question. Don't you care that we are perishing? Verse 38. And notice nobody goes up to him and gives him a hug and says, You do care. We are so happy that you care. That's not the answer. Do you see what their response was? They're afraid. This is not, yay, we have Jesus in our boat and we can survive all the distresses and all the troubles that will ever come our way as long as Jesus is in our boat. That's not their answer. That is not their response. That is not the message that you were supposed to take away from this. Nor is the message supposed to be, well, there's a lot of parallels to Jonah. Yep, there are a lot of parallels to Jonah and that has nothing to do with this either. But there are a lot of parallels. What's the big takeaway? When it says there in verse 41, they were filled with great fear. It is interesting the highlights of great that happens in this text. In verse 37, there is a great windstorm. Verse 39, followed by a great calm that leads to verse 41, great fear. That's the emphasis of the message great fear. We have to step back and ask ourselves, why aren't they relieved? Why aren't they overjoyed? Why aren't we high-fiving Jesus? That was awesome. (laughs) Do that again. Because they realize they're in the presence of God. Something has suddenly dawned on them. And they are beginning to grasp who this Jesus is. And the idea of Jesus as God in the flesh, that God is in the boat with them, sparks fear. And I want us to realize that that is always the response Of being in the presence of God in the Scriptures. That is always the response of being before God in the Scriptures. Isaiah has a vision of God and he doesn't stand back and go, that was neat, but falls down and says, I'm doomed. Ezekiel, vision, down on his face. When Paul, Peter, John, all have various encounters with the presence of God, they are falling down as dead. Over and over again, you see this picture that fear is always the right reaction for being in the presence of God. And what we are seeing here is a critical piece about Jesus. The nearness of God as seen in Jesus at this moment is not pictured as reassuring, but is pictured as unsettling and even arguably terrifying at this moment. Isn't that a stunning ending? So verses 40 and 41 you would read and go... And everybody was relieved and everybody was overjoyed and everybody was happy and everybody relaxed and everybody went back to talking about whatever they were talking about. And Jesus went back to sleep or something like that. It doesn't it's fear. It is a massive picture that God presents about His presence over and over and over again. When you understand who God is and that you are in His presence, the right reaction is always fear. That's what happens here when you really get your hands on who Jesus is and that you are in the presence of God, this no more becomes to them, hey, let's go over to the other side. But they were filled with great fear and say to one another, who is this? Quiet the winds and the waves. Now, why is that so important here? Because fear is what makes faith possible. Fear is what makes faith possible. It's what creates the faith that God wants us to have. I want you to see this idea over in Exodus because we've spent some time in Exodus and you might remember how that all played out in a very similar way. In Exodus chapter 14 and verse 30, this is the ending of the parting of the Red Sea and the destruction of the Egyptians. And I want you to notice how parallel the response is to the people of Israel. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. And they all gave high fives and said, isn't it great that God is with them So the people feared the Lord. But watch what followed that. And they believed the Lord and his servant Moses. A wonder happens. The response of the people is fear leading to faith. A massive miraculous act happens. Ten plagues parting the Red Sea, and the people now see the Egyptians dead, and their first response is, whoa, about the power of God, which then leads to faith. It leads to them believing. Believing. This is exactly what's happening here is the first miracle that we're starting to really see in this section of miracles that Mark presents to us. That this fear is to produce faith in Jesus, and we know that that's exactly what happens with these disciples as we continue to read these accounts. What is so important for us to see is it is not possible for us to have the faith that God is looking for us to build within us and develop until we first come into His presence and understand who He is. You just can't have the faith that God is looking for until you first understand who He is. This is why there is a lot of weak faith. Because how is God most frequently portrayed? Cosmic teddy bear God, you know? He's just comfort and kindness at all times. And that's not the picture that's developed by Jesus as he's with these disciples the first development with this miracle that's given to us is do you understand who Jesus is? Do you understand the gravity of who He is? Do you understand the power? Do you understand the might? Do you understand what He is accomplishing? Because it is only by understanding who Jesus truly is, that there will begin the life change of faith that God is calling for each of us to have. That's the only way. It is only when we understand who Jesus is that everything about our lives can now finally change. When we understand that Jesus is God Himself with all this power and all this My Ruler over creation who by His very words can control winds and waves. He can just say a word. Never lose sight of that when you read about Jesus, who He is as things are happening, as events unfold. He can say one word and change everything. It's easy to put limits on him in our minds. And this is stunning. That we are going from the moment of perishing and drowning to call and rescue. But this is what the New Testament wants us to understand about this Jesus. It is an understanding that the Apostle Paul had as he came to the end of his life and He writes in his second letter to Timothy, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into His heavenly kingdom. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Why is understanding who Jesus is so important to faith? Because when you understand who He is and you understand the power that Jesus has and the power that He has in His words, in what He is able to do, that we have seen Him by His very words heal people of diseases, to be able to take care of unclean spirits, to be able to limit Satan, to be able to now cause winds and waves to completely stop, then you will understand with that great power He has all ability to save you from your sins. He has all This is why fear leads to faith. When I come into the presence of God and I understand what He can do and I understand the power and the might that He has, the power that He has over creation, the power that He has over humanity, the power that He has over disease and sickness, the power that He has over Satan, and then I look at Jesus and you know what He does with all of that power. He gives Himself up on a cross so that that power would rescue us from sins. You see, the idea is how dare we ever question the ability of God to save? That's why all of those Psalms connected silencing and quieting seas with God rescues. You go, well, how do those two work together? Because one power shows the other. He rescues Israel by rebuking the seas of the Exodus. He shows His faithfulness by rebuking the seas. He quiets the storm. And His salvation is shown to the ends of the earth. This is what all the Psalms are saying. And I love Psalm 107 where it said, And He brings them to their desired haven. That's great. That is great. This is what happens in this scene. If we had more time in another sermon in another hour, guess what are going to get to? The other side of the sea. It looked like all hope was lost. No, he silences the sea and brings them to their desired end point. That's what he came to do. That's what he came to wipe out. The picture is not, okay, you will have no trials and problems in your life if you have Jesus with you. That's not the message. No, no. The message is far more powerful. In the midst of all of your distress and storms and difficulties of life, you can rest assured in a singular point, Jesus has rescued you and will bring you to the final destination of eternity. That's the message. When you understand who He is and you come into His presence and you grasp all of that power and all of that might, that what He can do by His very words Fear leads to faith. Because with that power, He says, I've come to rescue. I've come to save. And that's why I love verse 40. When Jesus turns to the disciples, what does He say to them? What were you afraid of? Your fear should lead to faith. Because if you know who I am, you understand what I can do, if you grasp the power that I have, if you understand that I am God Almighty in the flesh, then you will put your complete dependence upon your Lord without any hesitation and without any doubt. That's why faith needs the fear of the presence of God. That's why God comes to Israel in that way. That's why when you come to Exodus 20 and God comes down on Mount Sinai and causes the mountain to shake and tremble and smoke and there is great fear that comes over the people. Is God just trying to scare people? No. Understand the presence of whom you are standing before so that the people would trust God to take them to the promised land. <laughs> Oh, i getting too old to make that move. now. do not roll on there. <laughs> we read the story of the Exodus and we're so stunned of how they were faithless, 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 faithless. And we read it and go, but look at all the miracles. What was the matter with you? What was the problem? Why didn't you just believe? They didn't believe that God could take them all away. And then we hit our crises and distresses and troubles. I don't have faith in God to believe that He will carry us on to eternity. Don't make the mistake of what Israel did, but instead allow a true and healthy fear of our God to transform our faith to believe that God will most certainly bring us to eternity. And this is the hope that we have. This is the glory that we share and enjoy that we would have the faith to believe that God will bring us all the way home because Jesus has power over Satan. He has power over your sins. He has destroyed death. He has destroyed every obstacle. And there is nothing to interfere with you going home to be with your God except... Come to the presence of God, appreciate who he is, and let your fear be transformed into faith and believe that he has the power to carry you on. When we sing this song, we're inviting you to come to Jesus and we're encouraging you to think where you stand with God today. And you allow yourself to have the faith that God is calling you to have by focusing on who our Lord is. Never forget the power of God and what He's done to rescue you and me to bring us all the way home. Can we help you respond to the gospel message? Won't you come while we stand and while we sing?